Welcome to Beer Massive, a collection of good beer-centric conversation, interviews, editorials, reviews, and more from a collective of centrally like-minded yet individually opinionated good beer fanatics. From podcasts born in the present, or from our massive library of brewer interviews from years past, we hope you enjoy what you hear. If you do enjoy what you're here, please subscribe. Feel free to reach out to us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram on tap, at Massive Beers, or email us individually at massivebeers at gmail.com. How you doing, guys? Uh, back with a little bit of Beer Massive podcast goodness. New season, new beers, new breweries, all kinds of fun stuff. We're actually on location at... Uh, Carmine Street. We're off Bleecker Street, which is like I spent like a whole heap of my childhood, oddly enough. So, yeah, I used to come out and I used to be an underground uh, like DJ and I used to buy records at a place called Sonic Groove, which is like right around the corner from here. It doesn't exist anymore. Oh, nice. Uh, From a guy named Frankie Bones. Yeah. This place used to be a record store too, like way back in like the 80s. Really? Yep. Yeah, this is almost Bleecker was known as like Record Row, Mm -hmm. so makes sense. But anyway, we're not talking about records, we're talking about beer and we're here. With uh, Shane from Carmine Street Beers, but more importantly, we're with the, uh, are we going to go New York's only brewery? I mean, that's kind of, or Manhattan's. Manhattan's only, only brewery. brewery, yeah. Okay. Only production brewery, at least. Yeah, with Torch um, and Crown. Um, John and Joe. Yeah. What's going on, guys? Cheers, guys. No, I appreciate it. I mean, it's uh, it's funny you bring up Bleecker Street. I think the first place that John and I bought a fake ID was at uh, a <laughs> place on Bleecker Street. You used to get everything on Bleecker yeah, Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So records, <laughs> records, pizza, and fake IDs. That's kind of uh-huh. how it works. Yeah, right um, over at McDougal, I think it was. So, yeah, is that, uh, <laughs> you still use it. How long did you did they last those fake IDs? Not all that long. Uh, I think we were we were a little bit young uh, at that point. So it, you know, having a crappy piece of plastic with a face that looks like a twelve year old didn't didn't go too well. <laughs> but uh, ultimately led into led to our foray into beer. Um, so this is a beautiful little segue here. Yeah, let's jump um, into it right now. Uh, How did you guys get into beer first off? Yeah, I mean, that was, we got our fake IDs taken away when we were 16. It's oh, that's almost a rite of passage. I'm actually more surprised that you needed a fake ID in New York. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> I guess choice of bars maybe. But um, yeah, place, place right over in the East Village. Um, and then from there, it was sort of, it was it was kind of done in jest. We were, we were 16 years old and... You know, thought it was kind of thought it was funny that we could buy all the ingredients to make beer, but couldn't buy beer itself. Um, and so one one Saturday afternoon, when my folks were out of town, we went out and got a little Mister Beer kit, um, oh, yeah, malt yeah. extract, all that good stuff, and um, didn't really read how to do it or anything. Just kind of got to work on my uh, my mom's kitchen stove, and she came home right as Joe's reading the instructions about how to avoid a boil over looks up at me and goes what's a boil over <laughs> and we both look over and there's shit going everywhere and you know of course. I, I guess that's what that is and uh my mom walked in right then was not uh not pleased that her kitchen was a mess with two underage idiots trying to make beer so the beer part was cool drinking the beer part it was just making the beer that was the problem with ma yeah yeah exactly <laughs> well you know um that was the only part that she had discovered at that point uh-huh. i think um but, but yeah, so that was, uh, and the, the worst part, so we both got grounded that day, um, but they did let us sort of keep, you know, see, see the creation to, to its finish. But the worst part was obviously having not read anything about how to brew. Uh, right. We oxidized, you know, I mean, the, the, the whole thing was just, was awful. And so the beer, the beer was terrible. And at that, but at that point it, it had sort of 
awoken a um, a passion for for both of us. And uh, luckily, our our parents saw the uh, I guess creative side, not just the underage idiot side of things, and um, you know allowed us to keep going. And so this time we actually did start. You know, we bought we bought a. Uh, uh, homebrewing books and we kind of got to work there and started started iterating started trying to actually figure out what we were doing so both of you guys grew up in manhattan proper no no uh in uh the garden state not sure if you've heard of it okay that jersey place yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, that place sucks but you guys um, knew each other from like yeah i mean like we, we have, uh it's funny we're actually kind of you know getting through some like blog content stuff like that about about our background and and uh dug up an old picture of us when we were like seven or eight playing soccer together. Wow. Um, so yeah, we, we've been um, known each other for a long time. Yeah, go yeah. way, go way back. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I mean, you do the, almost do the Mister Beer bit uh, kit in the homebrewing part to facilitate the whole booze portion portion of the show. When did it go from okay, I want to drink beer to I want to drink good beer? Like, how long did that take? I think it was pretty quick. To be perfectly yeah. honest with you, yeah. I mean, it was uh, there was an element of this Mister Beer kit where we it was like, oh, yeasty sugar, like let's yeah. pack confectionery sugar <laughs> and, and brown sugar and, and uh, try to get as much alcohol out of this as we can. But um, you know, it was I think by batch two or three, we were sold that this was was something that was cool and interesting. We were making peach purees at that point and trying to, to do. I think we did like a peach puree amber ale or something like that. That was that was kind of cool and. Yeah, you know, we we fell in love with it pretty quick. Yeah. Interesting is probably the right word. And that's around <laughs> when timeline wise. We're seventeen, eighteen at that point. No, a uh, year. Uh, that would have been oh six, oh seven, oh six, oh seven. Yeah. So you get pretty quick. How long was the mere Mister Beer Kit involved? Once. 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 Yeah. Yeah. We switched to all grain immediately <laughs> afterwards. It was like, okay. We need a little more control over this. You know, how do we how do we make this fun? But it was uh, you no, know, it was great, man. I uh, I have no regrets on it, and I spent the entire time I was in college and. You know, my entire professional life doing this. John's been with me along the way the entire time. I remember I was working for Rogue. I came back for Christmas, and John and I did a double homebrew day, like through midnight. Drove me to the airport, got me back on a plane to get to uh, to get back to Oregon. It was uh, we've been doing this for for a little bit now. From the kind of like homebrew side of things, to you said you went to school. Did was your schooling part of like something to do with brewing at all in any form or fashion? Or I mean, through studying science, yes. Okay. But, but actually, like. You know, going to brew school was not was not something I did. I went to Brandeis. John was at was at Amherst for a little while, so we were close enough that we could, you know, while we were, you know, in school, actually brew together. Um, but it, uh, yeah, it was I, a lot of what we learned and, and what I learned and, and how we grew doing this was was through trial and error and trying to apply concepts that we were learning in other avenues and okay. moving towards beer. And then one was the kind of. What was the impetus for you just going off to you? Was Rogue the first production brewery you worked at, or like, like how did you get there? Sure, yeah. So I, uh, as soon as I, I graduated from Brandeis, I started working for a distillery, Grand Ten Distilling in, uh, in South Boston. Great place, great people. Matt and Spencer were doing some really cool stuff over there, um, and they got me into the um, you know the alcohol industry, I suppose, um, and you know, taking that kind of credibility of a place that's putting out good products and has good practices. Um, got a job with Rogue, was out there for, for a solid amount of time, and then ultimately moved back to, to work for Cane Brewing before John and I broke off to do our... And our, so you guys are pretty much running, I mean, obviously staying friends the whole time, but you're running a different pass for a good portion of the show. Very much. Yeah. And then and then going from, you went from Rogue to Cane, that's kind of a, that's quite a jump. I mean, Rogue's a big nationally distributed production brewery. 
did you go to Kane as a brewer, um, uh, like from just a brewing, like head brewer? What what portion of brewing did you did? Because that's a pretty big brewery you come from, bro. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it was it was a great environment that we had at Kane. We had a great team. Um, when I started there, there was uh, there was basically only me and one other guy that was on the, the staff full time doing. When was this? Brewing. Um, don't remember what year it was, but I think we were only doing like, uh, like 1600 barrels that first year. Okay. Um, so it was me and this, this, my buddy, a great buddy of mine, Andy Joy, who helped us out at Torchon Ground for, uh, for a solid amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, he's, he's actually left to open his own place as well. But we, uh, we took that place from, you know, 1600 barrels to, to well over 10. And, you know, he had a lot of, uh, he comes from a, a kitchen background, professionally cooking. And so some of his creative ideas and, and what I had taken away from working for a brewery that was making 110,000 barrels the year before. You know those two skill sets married really well to allow us to, to try to be yeah, successful no, I, there. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense when you open a brewery if everybody's doing the same thing and applying the same you know skills. Then there's not a lot of variance in there. You want someone that brings something to the table. Everybody has the same skill set. You know what I mean? It just doesn't make much sense. For sure. Um, at what point during that journey did it become okay? We're going to open a brewery. And then at what point did it go, we're going to open a brewery in Manhattan because that's fucking crazy pants. <laughs> it sure is. Um, yeah, scared, so, scared money don't make none. I mean, it makes sense, man. So I, uh, <laughs> I tell Joe that all the time. I got a, I got a funny anecdote here. I, uh, I, you know, the guy doesn't know this at this point, but I, I, when I was in college, um, I had tried to get an internship at Dogfish Hat. And the way I tried to do that was by, <laughs> was by going to an event at, um, at Lord Hobo the Bar that Sam Calgione was going to yeah. be at. And I ended up, I couldn't find a moment to talk with him to try to ask him for an internship. You know, that this is something I'm super passionate about. I really want to do this. So I cornered him in the bathroom. Oh, like, that he basically cool. gave He basically gave me like this, <laughs> give me your elevator pitch. Like, this is really strange. Sorry, bud. Um, and uh, he told me to you know, deliver a business plan to him by, by the end of the weekend. So John and I kind of sat down. Uh, I drove home to Jersey. Uh, John happened to be in town. And I was like, dude, you know, if I want to get this internship, this is what we got to do. Like, do you mind sitting down? And by the end of that, you know, 48 hours of not sleeping, drinking coffee, we were like, honestly, there's a solid business idea here. I can't take any credit for the whole Manhattan thing. I was trying to figure out how to make it work in, in New Jersey. And, and honestly, it's John's vision that, that has taken us to this place. But, um, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Sam cornering that dude in the bathroom is just that, that mind. What I imagine that being like is yeah. probably after about, Ten beers too, because you're trying to, probably trying to get them all night long. That probably worked out pretty well, but yeah, easily. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it was, you know, and they for a brewery, you know, they they pride themselves being off centered, mm-hmm. all that, right? Yeah, like that's their. Pit. I think that was a little too off centered. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was, that was way <laughs> So it was pretty much he he asked for that business plan, and and it forced you guys to kind of make what you always kind of dreamed of more of a reality and that was kind of the kickoff being like okay we know what we want to do we're going to do this now and it just kind of bloomed from there yeah i mean i think it, it was that would have been that would have been sophomore year right so, I think so yeah. oh nine i guess yeah um but that uh it, it i guess when when we were by the time we, we graduated high school we were you know winning some like local homebrew awards nothing to write home about but enough that we at least saw a future in it, saw mm-hmm. that, you know, okay, these are talents that maybe, that could be developed further, right? And, um, um, I, I mean, at that point, it, it was something that we knew that we loved doing together, um, you know, the actual the actual production side of things, the actual, um, even the, you know, 
the sort of nitty gritty, the, 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 the janitorial work that really is brewing, mm -hmm. uh, or that, that, you know, that makes up the majority of brewing. And, um, and, you know, we were passionate just about the industry and about the folks we'd met along, um, even just on the home brewing side of things and how, how every brewer seemed to, you know, seemed to, seemed to open up and, and, and talk to us and, and, um, you know, the, the stories were kind of commensurate, us being these kids at this level and them being, you know, having once been sort of having once been home brewers, many of them or, or kind of whatever it was, it was, it was, I guess the passion was, was recognized from both sides. And that was something that we really loved about the industry, loved about, um, um, you know, being a part of it. And so I think those, those two made us, you know, really from, from that period, uh, when we were 18, decide that one day we are going to open our own brewery. And so, you know, at that point it was, let's spend the next few years positioning ourselves, you know, in in the right way to one day do that. Um, but then but then also iterating through different business models, iterate, you know, trying to f find out kind of what's our, identi our identity going to be from, from all avenues, right? Yeah. Like, us personally, what's what kind of personality are we bringing to you know to the brand, to the marketing side of things? But um, you know, what's our identity in terms of the the actual business model and what beers we're going to make, kind of everything like that? And so it was it was years spent figuring that out. And so even even back when we were we were kids, Joe being the kind of crazy scientist um, was you know our skill sets were very clear. I'm a lot more kind of numbers focused. Um, Wait, beer doesn't you don't magic <laughs> you don't make it magically and sell it and there's no business involved. I thought I thought, I, I thought you just made beer. There was no like you any know, kind of business plan. You just make it. I mean, Jesus. Well, we thought that at first. Um. <laughs> A lot of people still think that, which is really really weird. Yeah. <laughs> but um, when does when does it Manhattan make it real? Because you're talking about making beer, making beer that people enjoy, and having a kind of a, a personality to to the brewery, which you know. There's so many breweries out there now. You just can't be generic and just produce stuff. You can to a certain point, but you want to make your name. When you decide on Manhattan, you almost let Manhattan be the name. It's you're going to be the brewery in Manhattan. That kind of drives who you are yeah. to a certain extent. Like yeah. when do you go? Okay, we're just we're doing it because there's a reason breweries don't exist here. Oh yeah, it's space and and rent and it, just the overhead is crazy. When do you go? Okay, let's do it. Like or was it that? Kind of not from the beginning, beginning, but when you really started to get serious, you're like, okay, we're doing it there. Um, you know, I think it was, it would have been probably, I would say 2015 that, um, that we, that we landed on that. And that it happened for, for a few reasons and I'll kind of, um, list from least prominent to most, um, least prominent is, you know, I, I moved here right after graduating, um, Joe and I obviously spent spent a lot of time in the city uh growing up over the years um i've lived here ever since um you know ever since i got out of school and, and kind of you know it, am am very passionate about this city and about sort of you know specifically the kind of the the energy that's found that's found in manhattan um even sort of more more so than the outer boroughs um but past there that, that that's found here and, and nowhere else in the world and you know i i I guess I see a lot of, um, you know, I, I see it mirrored kind of between, um, between us, what we're trying to do this, like 
big ambitious project. Yeah, as you said, making making a brewery in Manhattan is, is awful for so many reasons. Um, and us us trying to do that, like I, I think there's there's a a lot of you know kind of similarities between that and really the reason anyone moves here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the people come here to make it. You know, whether it's whatever the craft is, whether it's it's something artistic, whether it's you know in in finance law, like like just kind of list the professions people come here to to prove it's a proving ground you know and and that's something that uh that we we love and it's something that you walk around you feel you know you talk to people you feel and that's that's really unique to hear and i've always had that kind of feeling because i spent a lot of time in new york um as a kid you know kind of coming around i never lived here but uh, i would travel here quite often Mm -hmm. and the one thing i don't think a lot of people don't i mean you guys probably obviously know this but a lot of people who don't spend time in New York assume it's so big, it's not personal. But it's almost like the biggest small town in the history of mankind. Yeah. Like, I've always felt like it's a, there's a small town thing going on here. Yeah, yeah. So it needs a brewery. Sure, you have those kind of little super nano ones or, you know, your kind of faux things like McSorley's and stuff. But there's never really been a brewery. So if you end up hitting it and end up, you know, making it, then, I mean, <laughs> there's the ceiling. There is none. Right. The, the upside's high and the risk is, is a lot higher than, than anywhere else, you know, but that's, that's something that drives us. That's, that's something we love, you know. Um, but, you know, going back to, yes, it's, it's, I think it's that, it's that feel that it's, it is this sort of small town at heart. It's that everyone, everyone has completely, maybe completely separate attributes, but the one thing that we share is this drive, is this ambition, is, is sort of, you know, this like thing at our core that I think everyone in the city really has. And, um, you know, so, so to be breweries kind of like thinking about really in the last 10 years, but, but past, past then kind of historically breweries have been these community gathering places. Breweries have been, have been the, the kind of the, the heart of a community a lot of the time. Yeah. And I, you know, we, that's our vision to be that, to be that in Manhattan, to be that for for these kinds of people. Well, let's talk about the vision. Let's talk about the beer. Like the whole time you're trying to build this business model, some uh, you know larger business in Manhattan, you still have to produce good beer. Oh um, yeah. Like what? what you have to what, produce incredible beer. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, or we'll die pretty quickly. Pretty quick. Like, do you, <laughs> do you guys have a focus on where you want to start off at, or is there like specific? Are you just going to go, you know, loggers and hazies and Nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that in a bad way, but you can go loggers and hazies and, and fill that void because that's what, a lot of what people want. Is there like you know a, a long term vision or it's kind of brew start sampling some sure yeah. brew good beer? Oh, sure. If yeah. people dig it, then expand from there. Kind of a business model. Yeah, I mean, so with the first couple of releases, obviously there's there's an element of you know need to pay the bills. So loggers and, and hazies work to to fill that void, but you know a lot of what we were. What you know, my background has been in has been barrel aging stuff. I, I, I've very, been very interested in sours for a very long time. So, you know, the, the, those things facilitate these kind of beers. You know, lager and, and hazies pay the bills to allow you to, to, to start to expand and experiment with some of the more the more fun stuff to do. Um, so the uh, the Soho spot will be great for that for us, just in the sense that you know we've got a, we've got a ten barrel brew house there, three vessel system. Um, and we can we can brew a lot but have a lot of autonomy in, in what it is that we're, we're making. And, and let's talk about that. Like you guys are opening up and have that vision of opening up in, um, in Manhattan. And then you have the old Chelsea craft brewing kind of fall into your lap. 
in, in sort of a sense. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? It, yeah, like, exactly. How what does happened. that affect your business plan? Because I mean, we're drinking. We just opened one. We open right now. Uh, yeah, Subrosa. Uh, Joe, you want to guide us through this one quickly? Sure. Yeah. So we uh, Subrosa is a fun beer for us. We John had an eye towards uh, Bar Rouge hops for a few years. He had some CC. <laughs> trying here, to think, get a contract but, on these things for three and a half years. Um, and, and you know, <laughs> historically, or at least in the first the first harvest year there, Bar Rouge had these huge strawberry flavors that were really cool. So John was was pushing me on like, let's see if we can get our hands on them. Let's see if we can get our hands on them. Let's do an IPA with them. Uh, we got them in, and when we opened the bag, um, the first bag at least, it had a bunch of like real nobly hop character kind of spice to the, the mm. nose, and I was afraid to do an IPA with it because I was like, oh man, like I, I don't know. School as that. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I don't know if this is gonna work. So we decided we could we could kind of hedge our bets there and, and and try to put a lager together with it, and it has this real kind of unique berry fruitiness to it that I love. Um, and I, I thought that in our, the first round of us doing it, that there was an element that was kind of missing from that that beer though. Um, so we threw some Nelson at it just to try to get a little bit of, of white wine character and a little bit of oakiness and spiciness in the finish to kind of round that out. And, and I. Uh, yeah, digging where this this beer's sitting right now. That what do oak, you guys think? That oak, it almost tastes like a fooder beer because there's like a big oak component to it. Yeah, a lot it's of dry. earthy. Kind yeah, of notes. it comes off like a little bit like aggressive pilsner to me more than like lager. Cool, but it's super crushable. I mean, from it's drinkable and it's dry. It makes me want to go back for more and just keep going and going and going. That's mm-hmm. a good thing. Right on. Um, in terms think, of Jay? oh yeah, oh no, definitely. I am a big fan of. I mean, as from a crappier bar bottle shop perspective it's incredibly hard to buy rotating lagers uh, pale ales and wheat beers because they're not exactly at the forefront of what these new york breweries are putting out and like it's really great to have like a couple like i mean between sub rosa and intersect already it's just so nice to have like beer that i can put up and be like yeah like this is made here like seven minutes from here ish (laughs) yeah so it's like it's it's just really nice to see a local brewer doing that kind of stuff and like doing it as like something more like a core, but that's rotating. And that's always going to be like a big key for me. Like I can put up intersect every batch if it keeps switching between hops and whatever. And this came out of a can. Like, did you guys have cans? Was that part of the Chelsea craft brewing thing? Like to where you got the ability no, to do we the can? Or was that from like you were like, we're doing cans from the get because you, your tap room isn't open yet. It's opening really soon, but um, you guys are already hit the market with, uh, you know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's opening, right? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's definitely going to open. <laughs> are you guys hitting a red tape and stuff like that on that? Or is it we more? We have, just, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's predictable, I, I guess. Yeah. So knock on wood, but you know, um, obviously, you know, you mentioned a lot of reasons that there, there is not a production brewery in Manhattan. The, the sort of the red tape permitting all that yeah sure it's a nightmare so we've we've been going through that um, we're kind of hitting a pretty good stride I think where most of the permitting is out of the way again we'll knock on wood there that uh, that's always a scary thing to say um, but um, yeah I mean you know this this Chelsea thing was a kind of I guess at one point or in in one sense a big departure from our model, but in in another sense, just like a completely natural step. Okay. Um, and so the reason I say that, I mean, you know, we we always knew that if we were to be successful in in Soho, we would outgrow that very quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, just just the space we have, the size system. I mean, you what know, size system do you have? It'll be a ten barrel system in Soho. And, and what's at Chelsea? Uh, Thirty. Okay. And so you know, we know we knew that at some point we would need. 
um, in order to facilitate, you know, larger batches, distribution, all that, we would need a, um, you know, a, a larger way to handle that. And that obviously um, would have to happen outside of, outside of downtown at least. So in many ways that was kind of accomplishing phase two before phase one. So you could say we're pretty optimistic here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, at the same time, it, our vision here in doing this, in, in kind of bringing craft beer directly to the people, in sort of, you know, all of this, the, the aim is to elevate craft beer in New York City kind of generally. And by doing this, um, we've built up a pretty robust contract brewing business for a lot of the other New York City um, breweries that, that, you know, kind of like like our vision for the Soho space, right? If we, if we are successful there, we outgrow it, we need a place to do larger batches. So we've been able to do that for, um, for other breweries in New York City. And so in that way, it's a completely, completely natural sort of, we're, you know, elevating, elevating craft beer in New York City by helping out or, you know, by, by working yeah. alongside all these other awesome breweries that exist already. Let's touch on that real quick. Yeah. What's it been like opening a brewery in Manhattan with uh, the other breweries in and around the area? You know, the Brooklyn breweries, the Queens breweries. What, what has been their kind of reaction to you guys opening in, in Manhattan? Sure, yeah. I mean, You're nuts. We, <laughs> <laughs> Every single one of them. <laughs> I think that's right. Yeah, I mean, we got a lot of, you know, really supportive friends in the industry, though. Uh, you know, anyone that we've that we've, we've worked with previously or, or that know us now, it's a it's an incredible community. I think New York specifically is an incredible community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even even if some of these, uh, we have industry night every every Tuesday or second Tuesday of every month. Um, even if that's out in you know the, the boonies as far as New York City is concerned and Brooklyn or Queens, <laughs> like as far down the line as you could possibly take it, there's still a solid 30, 40 person turnout. People going there, sharing ideas, supporting each other. I think so we're the only a, people in the industry that consider the outer boroughs the boonies. <laughs> <laughs> But, Could be uh, an advantage. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, again, back to the beer. Like, uh, was was lagering? Did this beer come out of Brooklyn, or did it come out of the one uh, we're drinking right now? In Bronx. Bronx. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, was lagering from the get go? Is that something you're doing, or is that uh, facilitated by the uh, that acquisition of the old? Or they had. Did you have the ability to lager at the new place? Was that? A, sure. Yeah. I mean, so that was it, the, the fact that we the capacity there is 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 strong. Yeah, <laughs> uh, to put it lightly, uh, yeah. I think we can do somewhere depending on the split between lagers and ales, we can do fifteen to eighteen thousand barrels in a year, okay, um, as a as a total max cap there. Uh, but that gives us a lot of autonomy, and I've got a tank that I can put something in and do right by the beer. Um, to like this is a forty day lager. Um, I, I prefer to give it the amount of time that it needs to, yeah. for the beer to really shine. Um, if you if you're in a much smaller facility with a lot less capacity, you, you got to turn quicker, turn and, quicker and, and uh, you know, it's been, it's been great for that reason to, to make a beer like this. Yeah. It's now, really opened up what we can do. No, that's know? great. And it's a great and, thing. Yeah. The old, it would have, it, it would have, you know, me being finance guy and Joe being brewer, we would have been yelling, uh, yelling at each other, you know, Joe release this beer. Oh, God yeah. damn it. And he's like, it's only 20 days. <laughs> I need more time, you know? And, and to, so to have, to have the ability to do that from day one, is is a huge luxury you know that uh we didn't see and we didn't plan for initially and i would imagine the ultimate goal is once you guys are in full swing with the uh with the soho spot going in the bronx going is you're gonna have soho kind of just fill the taps and then have bronx kind of do maybe canned stuff and then some contract brewing and stuff like that i assume that's yeah exactly right so like they're kind of two 
two separate businesses that that exist kind of you know mm -hmm. side by side um but they're very complementary for each other so to have you know this 15 to 18,000 barrel um production capacity enables us you know that like brewing i mean you know advent of tap rooms things have changed a little bit but manufacturing is still a game of scale it always yeah. has been right and and so to be able to um, to bring in the the cost structure and the scale of a fifteen to eighteen thousand barrel brewery, even if we're only selling you know a couple thousand barrels or whatever it is of Torch and Crown, is pretty huge, and it 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 helps us sort of throughout. But at the same time, this contract brewing side of things is um, is awesome for us. It's it's you know one it's you know enabling us on the business side again. Like I said, it's it's it helps it helps our side of things out quite a bit, but. Two, it, it gives us this whole different perspective in in New York City beer, working alongside other people as as opposed to just let's come out and push our brand and have that be that. And so, yeah, the vision for that space is to have just kind of, you know, a really localized um, model where a lot of the great beer from New York, in New York City is coming from that facility, yeah. whether it's us, whether it's, you know, any any number of our dozen uh, contract partners. And it has to be, I mean, just if you look at it from two separate uh, kind of entities, um, the Soho, I mean, from the Soho spot, just the availability of, of malt and, and hops and stuff like that, you'll be able to get at what you, because you're going to be purchasing on the bigger end on the other end of things, just the ability to get whatever you want whenever you want it, because you're not as, I don't want to say small, but smaller as yeah, you would be in the Soho spot. It's got to be amazing. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the tap room. Sure. Let's talk about what, it. Let's, uh, how far do you guys think you're out from actually opening the doors at public? June. Is June. The, uh, yeah. So we're, we're, we're getting there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, uh, the, other, the other good thing about the Bronx space is it enables us to not have to come out firing on all cylinders from, from the brewing side in Soho, which is huge, where, you know, we can... We can be sort of we can slowly ramp up that production and and augment it from um, batches we're doing in the Bronx while we get that figured out. I mean that's that's a, a difficult thing that a lot of a lot of breweries face, right? Is is you know, all right, we're launching, we're opening our doors, but this system got got hooked up last week and we're still figuring things out. Um, you know, so we'll, we'll we'll be we'll be able to to allow. Um, to allow our Soho space kind of the time to really figure things out to where we're, you know, consistently producing exceptional beer before, before we, we put that, that kind of burden on it. Um, and so from that end, now we're, you know, we're focusing on, focusing on the tap room, focusing on the restaurant builds in order to... Okay, you're going to do food out of there the whole oh, time? Oh, yeah. And um, that, that's, you know... This space that we found is incredible. I mean, we, we so we, we've spent, you know, basically two and a half years looking for spaces in Manhattan, <laughs> looked at 139 different ones. That's it? Yeah, <laughs> I know. That was like one afternoon. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, this space just obviously building a brewery um, in general, there are tons of really unique constraints from you know, from the structural side of things to, um, you know, they, all the utilities loads have to be correct to, I mean, there's just, you know, there, there, there's dozens of very specific needs that go into it. And then you factor in, okay, well now the economics have to work. And, uh, I'm not sure if you've heard rent in Manhattan, typically not the cheapest. Mm, 
Um, and, and then also, uh, it has to be in a manufacturing zone in New York City. So that, you know, brings, brings our subset of places in Manhattan down quite a bit. Um, and so you, you throw all these things in and um, really every space we were looking at was kind of, all right, well, what can, we can overcome X, Y, and Z to make this work. Like sort of, you know, it, it, it's a good location, but um, structural capacity isn't great or like, you know, whatever it was, there were always concessions we were making and we finally found this space and it was perfect from every avenue. Um, including, you know, including the, the economics. It's a building with, with, uh, with offices above us that are kind of, you know, really the, the type of people, it's sort of a young crowd. It's, yeah. um, the type of people that, that are going to want to go to brewery tap rooms. And we have a great landlord who, uh, you know, is looking at us as, um, as an amenity, as, as, you know, a, um, something to offer the rest of their tenants. And so they were, they were able to, you know, they, they were very reasonable in terms of, Hey, here's what we can, here's the number we, as a, as a brewery can make work and then, you know, all right, well, we want you in here, so we'll, we'll help you out. What, like it's, when was the last production brewery in Manhattan? Like, is that like, are we talking like a hundred years ago? No, uh, there were some brew pubs in late eighties, early nineties. Okay. Um, but really, and this is a funny kind of, uh, full circle thing. I believe it was Chelsea. They were out at Chelsea really? for, uh, up until Hurricane Sandy. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, we kind of, we stepped into that Bronx space afterward. We didn't have a whole lot of, you know, of interaction with them. So I don't want to tell their story incorrectly. Um, but you know, they, they, I know had a, a functioning brew pub over in Chelsea Piers for a number of years, but if you go back to kind of late eighties, early nineties, there were, um, a few brew pubs, uh, there was Zip City, there was Manhattan Brewing Company, actually just not a like a couple blocks from where we were. I, I believe they were uh, on Thompson. I'm not sure. That sounds right to me. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, so it's something that has existed. Those were kind of all um, all hit, you know, when, when there was a shakeout in the early mid 90s. Those were kind of all hit there. Okay. Um, and so, you know, interesting timing for us. If, if, if you believe a shakeout is coming soon, which I do. Um, <laughs> But, you know, uh, again, it's sort of, I think, I think it, it depends a lot on the focus. It depends a lot on, on sort of, you know. Where do you think, where do you think it's headed? Where do you think beer is headed? Uh, that's a big question. In I mean, if you're talking of, about, like, if you're talking about, when you're talking about a shakeout, are you talking yeah. about, like, how beer's going to, where it's going to settle? What's, what's your guess? Let me ask you that. Sure. Um, you know, I think, I think right now, if you're opening a brewery, you have to have a very tight handle on what your route to market is and you know i think if you're opening right now and saying all right well we're going to sign on with whatever the big distributor and they're going to push our beer to a bunch of bars and we're going to um you know operate a great production facility and crank out beer and that's you know i i think i think that um that approach has gotten some people in trouble and i think uh there's there's a a there are a lot more kind of right on the horizon. So we've, we've seen some bankruptcies in, um, you know, in the last kind of 18 months, obviously one being the facility we're currently in. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's, it's been sort of breweries that, um, every brewery is leveraged, right? I just, if you're, you're buying physical assets, yeah. um, you know, through which to, through which to monetize in production use, it, 
you know, leverage getting a loan to do that is is the way to go. It makes sense, yeah. right? Yep. And um, you know, so so whether some are are we'd say over leveraged, some some you know are intelligent about kind of what is our actual debt service, how much how much beer do we have to sell to actually you know pay our pay our interest every month versus um, some are, are kind of way over their skis in that way and are sort of, well, we've been growing we've been growing 20% every year for the last few years. If we keep growing 20%, we can totally pay this off. Yeah. All right, let's bring in 12 new tanks next week. Um, and so, you know, I think some of those were, were already, you know, we're already seeing struggles, but I think those will only be amplified. But it's the breweries that have built, kind of have gone through the... Um, have gone through the sales process to the end consumer yeah. and have built a great relationship with their end consumer. Those are the ones that uh, will be successful and will grow in this next phase. Um, and so, you know, you talk about like the breweries that um, that I see being successful right now. A lot of tap room is a huge is a huge portion of that, um, just because that that gives them the ability to you know to have have your brand stand face to face with with someone there and i think you know to me it's it's businesses um you know that that are able to that are able to create that at a wide enough scale at a wide enough network to you know to to support to support their their growth their um their expenses that are gonna um that are gonna thrive in the next phase and then you know again we're already seeing that none of this is a crystal ball or anything no no i mean nobody really knows what's going to go on but it does seem like there's like a, I've always thought that there's like, you know, if you talk a macro versus micro argument, it almost seems like a, a there's like going to be a third tier in there. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, have the Sierra Nevadas of the world and, and those will be that kind of, you know, macro, medium, then lower. And, and the ones that try to reach that and don't get there, the smutty noses of the world, those are the ones that kind of. Well, it's a different of, way of getting there, yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, well, you want. I think it's a identity crisis thing. People breweries need to know what they want to be, and some right. breweries just don't know what they want to be. Yeah, yeah. You know? But like you know, you talk about sort of a, a brewery that's expanding rapidly at the moment. I mean, you know, the, the 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 two examples in our neck of the woods in the Northeast. One is Other Half, who mm-hmm. is you know they're they're not just signing on with a distributor and, and shipping as much beer as they can everywhere. They're, they're building, um, I guess it was a bankruptcy thing that they took over. Upstate. Ned Lowe, yeah, Ned, Ned Lowe, Lowe, yeah, up yeah. North, yeah. Um, but you know, they're, they're, all right, let's build community there. Let's build our identity mm-hmm. there, have it be an extension of our, our Brooklyn identity, but, but have that sort of function as its own thing and be face to face with people up there, be yep. part of that community. And then, you know, same thing, I, I think in DC or, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they're. I don't know if that's public knowledge. Yeah. Okay. No, they. It's out Brooklyn there. Now, yeah. Too. Oh uh, yeah. No, yeah. Uh, what's it? Domino Center. Yeah. There, yeah. There's another one there, right? But like that's that's their expansion model is getting face to face with the consumer at every level mm-hmm. and then building up distribution around that. Um, versus historically, it's been top down as opposed to bottom up, and yeah. you know, then that's when you have your green flashes of the world to. Yeah. Um, you know, who, who shipping beer all over and hey, that's working well, let's build another facility and, and, and all of a sudden, you know, that's not happening, right? So um, I think that's kind of, that's the new model of success. And if you can, it, it only happens if you've created that, and I, you know, a, a, an interaction with the people who are drinking your beer mm-hmm. 
um, that want to support you and that want to, um, you know, if you've created a valuable interaction um, and an interaction that excites people, um, then then that's that's the roadmap for success, I think. Well, let's talk about that. How has the reaction been? I mean, you guys been what about a month to market now in Kansas? Not even. We've been Not three even weeks. Three weeks, something like that. Yeah, and, it, and you did this uh, the lager we just drank, and then you had a couple other ones. We had yeah. another one sitting in front of us, uh, a hazy session. And you've had what? How many different beers out in market now? Three or four? Four. Four. Right. So. Yes, four. This uh, this Nelson lager we're drinking is not yet in market. This is okay. uh, coming out this week. Um, but so far, we did the Almost Famous, uh, which is obviously, if you're launching today, you're going to launch with a hazy IPA, right? Because, because of course. Nothing um, wrong with a hazy, yeah, man. Yeah. I love me some hazy IPA. No, I mean, sure, done well. done correctly, they're they're great. Now, yep. you know, now that every brewery's doing one, there, there are a lot more that are not done correctly, I think. But, um, yeah, ours... I, you know, and I can brag about it because I don't have any hand in making it. So, <laughs> um, but you know, the our almost famous to me is is um, what what kind of sets it apart is um, is this dry finish is sort of you have this this you know incredible wave of juice in the front, but it's not just you don't have the the, the sweetness that lingers that I think a lot of probably most of the the haze you're drinking today uh, does have. Um, but that was our first release, uh, and, and that, that went well. We sold through that pretty quickly, which, you know. Are um, you guys using, like, a proprietary yeast? Are you doing the Conan London thing, or are you just doing your own thing with the yeast? Yeah, we're using Conan. I'm trying to put some selective pressure on it just in how we're harvesting it and making sure okay. that, that that, you know, does what it is that we're looking for it to do. Obviously, anytime that you're, you're taking yeast out of a tank, you're, you're putting some sort of pressure on it. Okay. Um, and it's it's gonna change. But I was just curious. Yeah. 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 So coming in with a proprietary push, we'll say. Proprietary with twist. A little, little nudge. Yeah. You know, a little, <laughs> little bit of little bit of mama's red hot in there. Um, but yeah, I mean, so that one that one did pretty well. We had the Sub Rosa Lager, which is, um, you know, with with Bar Bruges that has that that kind of little subtle berry notes on the finish. That's a um, that's a pretty pretty great beer and that's been that's been getting a pretty good response as well and then the next two intersects um have been um you know similar thing uh, but but trying to trying to bring that that same kind of robust flavor profile and trying to bring um bring bring the haze bring the noise but but with a little bit lower abv something you can speak in my language there man i love i love low abv chuggers Mm -hmm. it's my favorite thing is intersect you said next couple intersects is that like a rotating hop kind of thing you're going to do with that one it is yeah so uh, the whole design of the beer is that each one is is from a malt perspective it's it's going to be super similar but two different hops kind of being profiled and speaking of which just crack one open um yeah so uh so yeah, so the first one we did was was Citra Calypso. Second one was was Vic Secret and Citra. Uh, third one will not have any Citra in it. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, no. I mean, it's it's been good for us. It's a great way for us to experiment as brewers too. I mean, we can get new hop lots in, new new different types of hops, and see how they play with with each other and them by themselves. And that's that's kind of the fun of a series like this, and that we're we're continuing to learn. Yeah, as, as we move forward with it but well, let's circle back what, what um like when you guys got into beer and you actually started to get into it was there specific beers that like really i think your epiphany beer to ask that what's your favorite beer not to go down that road but was there a specific thing or there was there kind of a the typical learning curve where you just kind of drink everything and then and then eventually evolve in the, some form or fashion i mean being at rogue you had to have a kind of like a 
a crash course on the West Coast out there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so first beer for me that really got me got me going was uh, was Newcastle Brown Ale. I think I was like you know, 14, 15 years old. I had one of those, and I was like, wow, beer can actually yeah. be something totally different than than course life. And this right? is what, probably like what, like early 2000s? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. And then you thought you were Shoot, hot shit yeah. drinking Newcastle. Too. Oh, like, yeah, oh my God. That was the coolest thing on the planet. So... Yeah, so then you know that, that kind of moved towards towards Guinness and Stone, and, and really starting to get a sense of, of differences in styles and, and, and approaches to making beer. And, and, and I guess uh, what was what would have been the what, what were we drinking when we were eighteen? What was the what was the go to beer then? Um. Well, whenever we could steal a Stone out of your dad's fridge. Oh, <laughs> um, dad was drinking Stone, huh? Dad was drinking yeah. Stone. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, dad, dad my dad drank like Black Label eighteen forty seven or some shit like that. I don't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so but yeah, moving probably, out to Rogue, I mean, he's definitely had a yes, probably, probably so. Uh, moving out to Rogue, though, I mean, that was that was you know an eye-opening experience. I think we put out maybe forty-five to fifty different beers the the first year that I was there, uh, and I, I think my, my my all-time favorite there was Brutal IPA. I mean, I think that realistically, Brutal's a, a bitter, but you know, from branding perspective, IPA yeah. sells a little better. But you know, just this this a five point one percent bitter, all crystal hops, just dynamite beer that you could just sit and ch- you can chug on that for you know 12 hours if you really wanted to but uh but it was, you know little moments like that and, and styles of beer that uh that resonate with you like that are kind of what keep you keep you moving and push what turns you on nowadays in today's beer world is there something specific outside of your brewery uh, i mean oh, i love our beer but i know uh so <laughs> no, uh, I know. uh yeah no honestly anyone making solid lagers is really what what, what gets me going right now i mean yeah. so the hazy ipas are a lot of fun um, you know, the, 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 the cake beers are a lot of fun, but, um, there's a lot more nuance and effort that goes into making a really subtle, flavorful lager than, than, than really goes into, you know, throwing a bunch of cinnamon and chocolate at something, right? So, um, the things that may get me excited about a brewery are how well do they execute that, how how do you and this I've always I wanted to ask a, a, this question to a New York City brewer. You guys are probably the most New York City of all of them, technically at this oh, yeah. point. How do you sell a forty day turn lager at the same price you do a hazy, and have the consumer not think about it differently? Because when we think about lager, we think about you know not necessarily cheap but it is relatively cheap i mean it's kind of you know that's what people drink it's a chugger beer it's it's your 30 rack but you're talking about a beer that might not have as crazy amount of ingredients in it but still is pricey but then it's tying up your system for three four times as long sure yeah how do you sell that to the to to the consumer in new york city definite opportunity cost if you haven't noticed yet there's a little oscar felix thing going on between john and i and uh, (laughs) kind of where our skill sets lie in my perfect world you know i would make whatever i wanted in the basement and just give it away Uh, clearly that doesn't that doesn't work wait is is it torchandcrown.org or exactly 501c3 please donate um So it's it's more a question for him, but yeah, I, I, he uh, he gives me a lot of leash as, as far as what what's going to be right for the beer and and how do we make that work. So yeah. yeah, I mean, for for me, yeah, I mean, it, I guess I guess it's it, it's a little bit trying to educate um, as much as we can on sort of you know, I guess ultimately the cost structure, but that's not like that's not what what you're pushing to it yeah. to, to the end consumer, right? Yeah. But like at the same time. You know, if you are thinking about what are the, what are the cost components that go into a beer, 
and why do we charge what we do? The, the New England style IPA, when oh, there's this many pounds of hops per barrel, um, that's that's an easy that's an easier sell through, right? And like, yeah. oh, we use this hop and we got it, you know, it's just Galaxy and we're paying thirty bucks a pound or whatever it is, right? Like that's people people understand that a lot more than you know. Well, actually, our rent is X and we're, mm-hmm. we're putting a beer in tank for forty to sixty days, and you know, you know, that's, yeah. there, there's a big cost associated there too. Um, but you know, for for us, it's it's the education about the process and the nuance and sort of all the labor that goes into it, which actually is a lot more in these very nuanced loggers than than you know than it happens to be for an IPA that we're um, you know that we're we have a relatively standardized process for and we're, we're mm-hmm. kind of turning turning through a lot quicker. Um, but you know, it's 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 the nuance, it's the craftsmanship that I think people enjoy and people are willing to pay for. You know, so thinking about myself as a, um, you know, as a, as a beer, as a beer drinker, um, it's, you know, a few, there are a few places that have, that have built up the reputation for that. And I will happily pay a few bucks more for their Pilsner, for their, um, you know, whatever than like I had, I had a Suarez, um, Palatine the other other night at a cafe Ultra Paradiso neighborhood place. Love them. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that's a, you're, you're paying, you're paying as much for that beer as you are for any of these hazy beers, but I'm, I'm happy to do it because I understand the, the craftsmanship. I understand, um, everything that went into it. And if we can, if we can give that message correctly, if we can, um, convey that, then, then hopefully there are people that are, that will go out of their way for this for this product and um, and and go out of their, their way to support us, frankly. You know, and if not, then again, we will we'll learn pretty quickly, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, I've watched a lot of my own regulars like go through the various stages of being a beer drinker, and like in the beginning, what you're looking for is that big, bold flavor, like a double IPA, a big stout, the big, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you find, and then. Over time, you go, okay, well, I want to maybe drink something that has these flavors, but I also don't want to drink one beer tonight. I want to drink, like, three or four. So over time, like, the ABV and, like, kind of all those intensities come down, uh, in at least in my experience, for what people drink. And, I mean, for me, I always, like, even myself, the end game is always that, like, that Pilsner, that Dry Hop Blogger, or the Kolsch, or something like that that, like, really... It makes you go, oh my god, this beer is so complex, and I can't believe it's four and a half percent or five percent or whatever it is. And it's just like that to me is like you've hit like the apex. You've you've really found all the subtleties and complexities in a beer without someone just shouting them at you. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, that's today's beer drinker almost. Of when you talk about it, like beer's crazy. Like beer's fucking crazy. I mean, you guys know. If I, back when, you know, in the early 2000s, if I met somebody who was in a beer, I was like, holy fuck, you like beer? Like, that's crazy. <laughs> right. Who are you? And I was like, once a year, I'd meet that person. Now it's like, <laughs> you can be at fucking Applebee's and someone's talking about going to Treehouse and shit. <laughs> but, uh, and it, it, like a booth next to you, you don't even know who they are. Um, so there's almost like a people skip like that learning curve of like, you know, going you know, to your log, shitty loggers, to your Belgians, to your kind of West Coast IP. And it took like years to kind of do that. No, now no, it's no. just like, oh, I, I'm in the beer now and i'm waiting in line so fuck you so it's like just like <laughs> haze on haze on haze but 
the, the same learning curve is there. It just takes people a different route to get there. And mm-hmm. the end game is always lagers. Yeah. And Belgian pale ales. I also think the hazy thing is, <laughs> it, it's like that because hazies are a lot more approachable. It's been the right. most approachable craft beer style, like, ever. Like, yeah. you couldn't give someone a stout and be like, you would like this because it has this in it. But, like, with hazies, like, it's smooth, it's creamy, it's rich. Mm-hmm. It's like, you can say cool things like, I want a hot IPA at the bar. And you're not, like, ordering the regular lager, which is awesome for the consumer. But... I feel like before that whole different curve existed because, you know, with the stouts and the heavier things, because beer before was driven by beer drinkers and now it's not anymore. It's just, it's driven by people who find hazies, drink them, and that's it. Right. Like, maybe they'll branch out eventually if you can convince them that this style is really good or they find out that they like this edition in beer or whatever it is. But like, Mm -hmm. right now, you jump from lagers to hazy IPAs typically and now it's like, it messes up the whole middle where the stouts were, the barley wines, the quads, the Belgians, the sours. Right. But yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's a different that, world. That's the most beautiful thing about the style to me is that, you know, you have a lot of people like for us, you know, I guess depending on which place you are, there, there's a different way to um, to tell the beer's story. But but for us, um, in, in some of the not really craft focused places that, you know, that are attracting the people who were just at, in line at whatever brewery this weekend, right? Like for for a place that typically carries your non-beer geeks or that has your non-beer geeks coming through, um, you know, there's a lot of like, oh, I don't like IPAs, like uh, they're hoppy. I'm like, okay, well, hoppy doesn't mean what you think it does really, but like, you know, they're, they're, they're bitter. <laughs> Or whatever, and, and we're kind of like the way the way we find resonance outside of like the the beer geeky places is like this is more like a fruited wheat beer than it is, you know, a traditional like this is not what you think of when you think of IPAs. We have a lot of people like oh I I usually don't like IPAs but I like this one and, and that's sort of well yeah but you, you usually don't like those West Coast punch you in the face with bitterness IPAs yeah. sure but you like this because it's using hops in a completely different way it's it's presenting completely differently um so you know that that's the most exciting thing to me about the style is that it's bringing in a a new um a, a, a new class of drinkers was that the nino brown new jack city give them the first rock for free and then once they get in there then they're hooked yeah exactly Just uh, yeah, that's, that's oddly enough really how it works yeah, like you get of. your first hazy and then suddenly you're tracing treehouse other half whatever you're right. in line and you don't know why you're here. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys are, um, you know, about four or five months out from the tap room, but you're you're hitting the cans running now. Um, like how, like what should people expect over those months leading up to the tap room? But at the same time, if they do want to find your beers, how do they get them? Like, is it just your local shop like we are here at Carmine, or is come, it come to Carmine Street Beers? Ask for Shane. <laughs> yeah, that's I'll, I'll be here six days a week typically. <laughs> Um, you know, we're, we're kind of, we're, you know, not producing a lot of beer at the moment. So we're, we're lucky, luckily being able to be thoughtful about the, the types of places that we're approaching. Um, but I mean, really it's, it's kind of, we're slowly, slowly expanding our distribution footprint, focusing more right in our area downtown and kind of, you know, building, building out from there. Um, so a lot of this is just kind of, you know, a lot of the places that we're, 
um, starting to distribute to our, our relationships that we've built over the years. So that, that does tend to be the craft focused places first. Um, but yeah, we'll be, we'll be expanding outward. Um, and again, with, with a focus on, on our neighbors on downtown, um, and you know, we, we, we love, we love the idea of a bartender or a person at a store selling our beer as, you know, yeah, those guys are right down the block. Um, it's their founders that are coming, making the deliveries. It's, you know, like they, it's a, it's a personal thing more than just, this is a cool brand and you should buy that also supreme is cool and yeah. buy their shirts you know <laughs> yeah i can definitely say a lot of people are very excited and kind of like will turn away even like other ipas that would have been like more hypey kind of crazy thing if i like i mean i've sold through an entire couple of kegs of torch crown or whatever like and it's so nice to tell people like hey this is gonna open up like seven minutes like you can walk there right like you don't have to like get on a train you don't have to do anything like this is going to be like our neighborhood spot. Like, try the beer; it's good. And then, like, it's it just goes from there. It's it's very very nice to have that going on. Yeah, intrigued me, man. That's the whole reason I wanted to come out and talk to you guys. Thank you so much for fucking sitting down. Of course, yeah, I appreciate man. it. Absolutely. Man. If um people want to find you, how do they find you? Well, just the old uh, internets. Just go in there. Are you Instagram driven like everybody else? Find us on the internets um, at Torch Crown Beer on Instagram. That's kind of that's that is where our focus is. Kind of at the moment, we are looking to beef up our digital presence and uh, haven't haven't done a great job yet, but uh, we're getting there. Um, and then at Torch or www.torchandcrown.com uh, is our website, and that that hopefully we will be. You know, um, keeping up to date on where we are distributing and where to find us and all that stuff, and and with a, with a few more sort of stories about about who we are and about kind of the beers that we're putting out. Um, so some content for people who for people who are interested. Uh, and this will probably go up right around the twentieth. So next weekend and the following weekend, you guys doing anything specific as far as any kind of uh, appearances, can releases, tap takeovers? Yeah, any of that stuff? on the twentieth, get to Blind Tiger. Uh, they are having a borough beer fest. Nice. Which you know, yeah. So Tiger's all, always a good time. All New York City uh, breweries will be pouring. What are we pouring there, Joe? Uh, we're doing the Big Secret Citra version of. Uh, oh yeah, Intersex. we'll crack this open. But uh, um, yeah, we got that going on the twentieth, and then uh, we got going on that weekend. Uh, and then that weekend, we are. Um, we'll be at we'll be at opening bash. So. Uh, New York City Beer Week opening bash. That's at Brooklyn Expo, and that's on the 23rd. And um, let's see, what else do we have for Beer Week? We have an event at Alewife. We'll be pouring alongside uh, a couple other kind of New York-based breweries. That's Alewife, or um, I guess Brew Pub out in on Long Island City. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't remember the date off the top of my head. Please check our Instagram. Maybe. And... Uh, <laughs> Um, that's about it. So light beer week for us. We're kind of just getting started. Um, you know, but, but if you like the beer, let us know. And more importantly, if you like the beer, let your local places know to give us a call. There you go. So John and Joe from Torch and Crown Brewing, go check them out. Like I said, uh, torchandcrownbrewing.com. Thank you to Shane from Carmine Street Beers for hosting us. We're going to be around a second podcast after this, so. We'll, uh, we'll we'll debate the whole uh, IPA ver- uh, route of getting into beers in that one. But, yeah, check them out. If you have any questions for these guys, reach out to them. If you can't get them, let me know. I'll forward anything off to them. And hopefully you guys enjoyed the podcast. Get yourself to New York City. Enjoy a little Torch and Crown. Drink some beers. Come get some. There you go.
Cheers. Cheers, fellas. Cheers.